If Tunisia continues to, to apply to the letter what the IMF is asking for, we will not stop the revolts. And we will certainly not be able to celebrate Tunisia as a success story for democracy. I'm sorry to say that, but if we continue to, the, to do the austerity policy, so that the, 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 the democracy will be something uh, to, to be rejected by, by the Tunisian people at the end. Uh, it, it, the, the, this, this democracy uh, uh, that does not allow people to eat bread with dignity is no different from any dictatorship at the end. Welcome back to a new episode of Africa's a Country Talk. It is officially season two, and this is episode three of season two. Once again, if you haven't noticed already, we're doing things a little bit differently. The podcast doesn't come to you live anymore, but comes primarily as an audio podcast with some clips on YouTube. And if you also haven't noticed already, uh, Sean Jacobs, who was formerly my regular co-host, is going to be stepping back and I'll be steering the ship solo from now on. But as always, the podcast is produced by the wonderful Antoinette Engel from Cape Town, and I'll be chatting to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. So if you missed our last two episodes of the season, we kicked off first with a discussion with Professor Siba Grovugi from Cornell on the political crisis in Guinea. And then last week, we spoke to professors Leswin Laubscher, as well as Professor Derek Hook, who are the editors of a new book on phenomenology and psychology. That episode is also now available wherever you catch your podcasts. So this week, we're very excited for the episode. It's a very pertinent and topical episode. We're going to be talking about the political crisis in Tunisia. And we are very fortunate to have onto the program Maha Bengada, who is an economic program manager at the North Africa office of the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation in Tunis. She holds a master's degree in industrial economics from the University of Paris 13, as well as a master's of financial analysis from Clermont Ferrand University. She was advisor to the Tunisian president after the 2011 revolution till the adoption of a new constitution in 2014. Her work currently with the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation consists in supporting and developing networks of relevant actors in economic policymaking, unions, social movements in the region, and engaging with them in rethinking progressive political strategies and alternative economic models to translate into demands for social justice and transformation. And she's written far and wide all over the map and in September 2020 signed an open letter by more than 500 personalities from all over the world, including world famous economists, which called for reclaiming economic and monetary sovereignty in Africa. And sure enough, she's actually co-editing a collective book that will be published soon by Pluto Press, which is called The Economic and Monetary Sovereignty in 21st Century Africa. So Maha, thank you so much for having us on the program. Uh, we're very excited to talk to you and help us make sense of what's going on in Tunisia, which is very confusing, I must admit. And maybe a good place to, to start the conversation is to begin with what happened in July. So incumbent President Kai Saeed suspended parliament, sacked the then prime minister, and 
at the time when all of this was happening, it seemed like his actions were were widely supported. And since then, he's moved on to rule the country by decree. And we're starting to see some discontent brewing. And I think what was interesting is that when he first made these moves, a lot of Western commentators, as they usually do, were clutching their pearls and proclaiming, ah, democracy has died in Tunisia. Tunisians have, have firmly rejected it. So could you maybe walk us through what happened and how we make sense of it? Yeah, good evening. Thank you very much for having me, for inviting me to this discussion. And I'm happy to bring some information about what, happening, what is happening uh, today in Tunisia. So let me provide some background for our listeners. Tunisia is seen by the outside world as a nation democracy, as the only country to have successfully completed its democratic transition compared to other countries in the Arab world that witnessed the Arab Springs. We celebrate this year the 10th anniversary of the revolution which was a peaceful revolution that allowed the overthrowing of the regime of the, of the autocratic regime of Ben Ali and which allowed the election of the Constituent Assembly and to write the Constitution in 2014 and which allowed the Tunisian people to choose democratically their elected representatives and twice their president and their local uh, municipal representatives. So this is the happy side of the story, which is marketed to the West and to continue in order to continue to benefit from donors aid and from credit. <laughs> this 10th anniversary of the revolution coincides with the decision of, as you said, Kaiser Said to uh, uh, make a rupture and uh, which is to freeze the parliament and to monopolize the powers, the executive and the legislative power, and to decide to amend the constitution and to change the electoral law. This was done in an atmosphere of a general incomprehension from the international community. They were already surprised already in the election of 2019, in the presidential election, where he was elected with 73% of the votes by universal suffrage where he defeated the electoral and the financial machine of all the candidates and of other political parties. This was done without having any political party behind him, without having any money and without doing any electoral campaign. He won with a staggering image of an incorruptible robot. This was amazing. This is to help you to understand already the radical change that occurred in the mind of Tunisians vis-à-vis the political class and the political parties. This act of Qais uh, Saïd came after a year of that was full of political crisis between the governing coalition led by another party, which, by the way, continued to lose its popularity and which has refused to change the government a lot of times. And between a president elected by universal suffrage, which enjoys very broad popular legitimacy, but who on the other side do not, uh, uh, who the, the constitution doesn't confer to him powers to, uh, uh, to decide politically uh, the future of the country. 
The only powers he have is related to the country security, external security, and foreign policy. And in fact, in the current state of the constitution, he has no power to change the policy or to operate any political change to exit from any political deadlock. So the height of the political crisis was reached this summer in the middle of the COVID pandemic when 20,000 Tunisians died in two months when the hospitals were experiencing the greatest shortage of oxygen and private clinics were asking for huge sums of money for COVID patients. And in the absence of vaccine and in the absence of strong decision by the government to save the population in distress. So the president uh, at that time in July deployed mm. Uh, a maximum of diplomacy to call for international solidarity and to collect donation of vaccines and quantities of oxygen. And he deployed the military to help the healthcare personnel to fight against the pandemic. And, he's in, and this was done in the total non-challenge of the government and of the parliament that was invaded by political querels. So we can understand a little bit what happened during this summer and who gave and which gave the uh, president the political legitimacy on the 25th of July to do mm. what he what he had done. Thank you. Uh, that was a very rich description of of what happened. And I suppose what I want to know next is, is what does Saeed hope to accomplish exactly because as you mentioned earlier he has a background as this astute former constitutional law professor during the election campaigns of 2019 he presented himself as someone that would faithfully interpret the constitution and as you said he was this robocop that was the nickname given to him and he was supposedly incorruptible at least that was the image he, he wanted to portray. So for someone watching his moves right now, how should we make sense of them against his background as someone who, who claimed to, to be different from, from such tendencies? What does he hope to achieve? Okay, actually uh, it's true that he is professor uh, uh, in constitutional law, uh he uh, promised to follow the constitution but in this context i think that the constitution were um uh, uh, was one of the problems that didn't allow uh, to the president to uh, to to exit from this political crisis uh, I, I can uh, i can tell you that uh, uh, he continuously uh, claimed that he didn't um, uh, he didn't make the coup for the international community that he used only the article 80 of the constitution he used the growing discontent that uh, that continued to grow against the government and the parliament and that culminated in, on the 25th of july which is the tunisian republic day uh, 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 and this demonstration that spread through the countries calling for the fall of government and the dissolution of the parliament and fight against corruption, 
uh, ended up with riots and attempt to destroy and to burn the premises of the ruling party in Nada. He used this context to uh, use the Article 80, which concerned the state of exception, and which allow the president to take exceptional measures in a situation where the state is in the presence of a serious and imminent danger. And he was describing the imminent danger not only by the riots, but also by the health situation that the Tunisian uh, lived during this summer. Because as I said, we had 20,000 of death, uh, uh, of death uh, and, and this was very uh, a, a huge uh, a number of people for the Tunisian. Each family, each Tunisian family has its proper death, and 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 the, the health situation were really uh, uh, in extreme uh, uh, was causing an extreme stress uh, to the Tunisian. So and and. And this was done in an absolute nonchalance of the government and of the parliament who was the, that were querelling in the parliament, shouting to each other, not dealing with the situation, not taking the proper measures. So I think that he used the article 18 of the constitution, 80 of the constitution, and he was trying to convince the, the, the international community of the of the well-founded uh, uh, decision, but he doesn't need to convince the Tunisian people because the Tunisian people were appealing for the dissolution of the parliament and the throw of the government. So since July 25, at the time, the decision to suspend parliament and sack the prime minister, as you said, was widely supported. Are his actions still widely supported now? with him choosing to rule by decree in September and him uh, announcing a new prime minister, in fact, the first female prime minister of Tunisia, uh, Najla Boudin. Uh, how have Tunisians reacted to these decisions? Uh, there is two kinds of reactions. There is the, the public opinion, the general uh, perception of the president's uh, decisions. I can say that the public opinion, the People are supporting all the decision of the of the of the president and the decree on of September 22 uh, uh, just came to reconfirm the freezing of the parliament, the removing of uh, uh, the uh, the immunity of the deputies, and uh, transferring concretely the legislative and executive powers to the president until the promulgation of a new elect electoral law and the amendment uh, of the constitution. Uh, so uh, these decisions were expected by the Tunisian people. But the second part of, uh, 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 of the people that were not really accepting this is obviously the uh, ruling party, which was overthrown from, from power, and also all the political class that are now afraid of the new electoral law. And they know today that they have little chance to uh, compete with Qais uh, Ayed uh, if he presents himself uh, again as a president in, in the new election. And also they have little chance to compete if, they, if he changes the, 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 the rules of the game 
and if he changes the electoral law because the electoral law when it was designed from the beginning it was it was designed in favor of the uh, political parties and uh, that allowed uh, um, a majority of two or three uh, parties that were changing coalition but that they were uh, ruling uh, constantly in, in, uh, during these 10 years. So there is little chance, uh, there was little change, a chance to change the structure of the ruling parties. And by this doing for them, it's a changing of the rules of the game. And they were afraid uh, of not being part of the political, uh, 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 of the political scene. Uh, for the next time. So these are uh, two types of reaction, the, the popular uh, uh, support mm. uh, by society for this, for this decision, and then uh, some political parties and the ruling party who are against uh, uh, this decision because they will be the biggest loser of, of, of this. Mm. Could you tell us a bit more about how this new electoral reform is going to change the political landscape such that it'll be difficult for the established parties and who are those parties other than Enada and what does Enada stand for and how has it failed to live up to the expectations of, of the Tunisian people? Indeed, the, the, the new electoral law, we have some rumors on how it will be but there is no official uh, um, release of, of such rule. we are we are still waiting to see mm. what uh, how, how it will be uh, but we have already in the in the decree of the 22nd of uh, september uh, an important paragraph uh, talking about the amendment he said already the objectives of this amendment. He said that the amendment of the constitution must aim to establish a true democratic system in which the people is actually the owner of sovereignty and the source of powers and exercise them through elected representatives or through referendum. And uh, this should be based on a separation of powers and the real balance between them that ensures the rule of law and guarantees public and individual rights and freedom and achieving the goals of the December Revolution for jobs, freedoms and national dignity. So we already have a, a preamble for this constitution. Mm. For the electoral law, we don't know exactly the rule, but we it seems that it will not be uh, like uh, it was before. It will be uh, made on, on very uh, restricted uh, districts, very, uh, very very little geographical districts, that people will elect uh, uh, deputies on not on their uh, appurtenance to political party or lists. Mm -hmm. uh, it will not be lists uh, for 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 um, to to be elected, but 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 people, but individuals. We don't know so much about this uh, this new system, but it will be, of course, a matter of debate here in Tunisia. I don't think that it will be something that will be imposed, uh, mm. like a decree. Uh, I I guess that it will be uh, uh, somehow also a matter of debate and put to a referendum 
for the for the for the people. Mm. I'm I'm very curious about what you just said now about how in the in the preamble, uh, creating a, a real democracy is about you know jobs, freedom, and mm. and dignity. And since the 2011 revolution, I think Tunisians have advanced an idea of democracy where it must also include economic growth and and development. And whoever wants to to have political legitimacy must also ensure strong economic performance. So to talk about that, could you tell mm -hmm. us a bit about why Tunisia's economy has been struggling over the past 10 years? We know about its rising unemployment rate. We know about its increasing debt. Why has it really, yeah, why has this, this vision of, of, of jobs and, and dignity for all not come into fruition? Yeah. Absolutely. The political legitimacy uh, uh, of the parties in power in Tunisia has been really eroded because this government uh, uh, and behind them, the political parties that proposed them, uh, have not implemented the real reforms uh, that this democratic transition... Uh, 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 so, so in order that this democratic transition deliver its fruit to the people, in terms of welfare, in terms of work, in terms of dignified life, and not only freedom of expression and organization. Mm. So after the revolution, the employment rate had, has not stopped increasing. While the youth is more and more graduated, the price and the inflation continues to, to, to rise and to erode the purchasing power of the Tunisian people. Uh, while uh, the youth uh, are, as I said, more and more graduated from universities, and, uh, and this really created a, a frustration among uh, the, the uh, the, the higher educated that that have no that that see no palpable change in the employment policies, and the, the and the young began to have to see no future in their countries. Doctors, engineers are immigrating to Europe, and the most dispossessed are also trying to reach the other side of the Mediterranean by risking their lives on the boats of death. So this mm. malfunctioning of the economy is not only due to the corruption as the World Bank would have us believe, or only to speculation as the president himself believes, or to an excessive wage bill uh, and a non-performing public sector as the IMF always says, or for example to an, an, an insufficiently liberalized market as the, uh, as the European Union try to convince us. Indeed, Tunisia suffers from structural problems that mm. it has inherited since the beginning of the liberalization era in the 70s, which were aggravated with the free trade agreements of the, uh, with the European Union in the 90s. Uh, uh, these opening policies uh, uh, that we uh, followed had as a consequences that we special that, that we specialized in low value added industry without technology transfer with low labor costs and mm. an, uh, an over orientation toward uh, the export of raw materials 
like phosphate, like uh, oil, like olive oil, agricultural products, uh, services such as tourism, which are also consuming a lot of water and plunder the resources of the country. So this model has aggravated our food, energy and technological dependence and has structurally plunged Tunisia's balance of trade deficit, like many other African countries, and mm. making it constantly in need of filling this deficit either by more extractivism to ensure more exports to cover its imports or by more pressures on salary in the low value-added sectors, as I said, to attract more investors, or by defiscalization, which decreases the country's fiscal resources and its capacity to mobilize internal resources for its own development. So mm. when the country reaches its limits, it can no longer lower wages, especially when the unions have strong political bargaining power, as we have, uh, and this is what happened after the revolution. And when it has no more resources to sell, like what happened with the break of the phosphate production in the south of Tunisia, and when the climate change makes the agriculture yields very volatile, and when the country has adopted all the law that encourage the investment, but the investors prefers to speculate on the debt than to create jobs. Mm. So what the country resort to external debt and submit to the condition of creditors and continues mm. to apply policy of austerity that are imposed by IMF and the international institutions and continue to liberalize and continue to devaluate the, the, the currency to limit the hemorrhage of foreign currency. So this worsen the situation and bring imported inflation. And basically, these policies are in reality not fighting inflation, does not solve the problem of employment. And, uh, 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 and at the contrary, employment further aggravates and the problem of immigration aggravates also. So mm. there is, for me, for in my opinion, there is more than a necessity today to go to the heart of the problem if you want to restore the sovereignty of the people. I mean, And what I mean by that is to adopt uh, uh, policies, real reform to ensure the food and energy sovereignty and the, technology and, and the technological also sovereignty of the country. And this cannot be done uh, uh, by a group of austerity policies uh, uh, that the IMF is imposing uh, on Tunisia. We need to invest in renewable energy projects and we need to uh, subsidize agriculture. Uh, we need to encourage the industry of high value added and to enhance and to ensure that this capital human, that this human capital, is paid uh, uh, decent wages. So for me, these are the missing reforms that uh, uh, that we didn't uh, make during these this 10 years and that uh, 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 contributed to this, uh, uh, to this uh, global discontent about uh, democracy. Because when a democracy doesn't deliver its fruit, so people at the end, for them, it's, uh, uh, it's something that is, it, it, I mean, 
I mean, people need to to live in dignity, and this was the the this was the 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 the, the, the slogans of the the revolution. The, the 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 slogans of the revolution were: we want job, we want dignity, and uh, 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 we want uh, uh, liberty. So we had the liberty of expression, and but we didn't have job and dignity. So if this democracy is not delivering that, so I can understand at the end that the Tunisian people are supporting the decisions of, uh, of, of the president. You've, you've painted a very bleak picture. And as you said, it's a picture which characterizes so much of, of the continent at the moment. And, and precisely the book that you are editing with some others, The Economic and Monetary Severity of, of 21st Century Africa, addresses this question of how can we we move beyond the kind of relationships of dependency that Samir Amin spoke about, for example. And when thinking about your alternatives in relation to what is on the cards, it seems like what is on the cards is knocking on the door of the IMF and asking for, for a loan and implementing that loan in exchange for certain conditions to be met. And the conditions that the IMF wants to impose is that the Tunisian government trims its wage bill, that it cuts back on social spending, and particularly that it cuts back on, on fuel and bread subsidies, which when thinking about what the social cost of that might be, it would be very devastating. And, and Tunisia is a country that has a has a history of, of revolt when when the people are pushed to their limits, so to speak, I'm thinking of of what happened in '83 and '84. So, if you were to to try and think about what might happen in the in the coming months, do you think that uh, Syed is going to to go forward with this with this IMF deal? Do you think that he might be pressured to, or do you think that is there is it an alternative path uh, for for Tunisia at the moment, or or is it inevitable that this deal is going to be struck? Yeah, the problem indeed is that the IMF is always asking to reduce the wage bill, to reduce the public spending, to reduce subsidies, to privatize uh, the, the, the public companies, and this in order to reduce the budget deficit, as if the only problem of the IMF is the budget deficit. But it does not, the IMF does not recommend anything to limit the trade deficit, for example, or to or, or to limit the, the deficit of the current account. It does not recommend anything to establish the food sovereignty of the people. Uh, if Tunisia continues to, to apply to the letter what the IMF is asking for, we will not stop the revolts. And we will certainly not be able to celebrate Tunisia as a success story for democracy. I'm sorry to say that, but if we continue to the to do the austerity policy, so that the 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 the, the democracy will be something uh, to to be rejected by by the Tunisian people at the end. Uh, it, it the, the this this democracy uh, uh, that does not allow people to eat bread with dignity is no different from any dictatorship at the end for, uh, in their eyes. So I think that uh, for Qaisa Saeed, uh, uh, it's important to, uh, to address this message uh, when, it, 
when it will come to the IMF negotiation for uh, for the next months. I don't think that he will stop negotiating with the IMF because we need this money because we are still in this uh, 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 structural dependency. But we may also uh, uh, try to uh, diversify our partners, try to think about uh, other countries that can help during this period of distress, but also it involves this problem of sovereignty because each country has its interest. If you are changing uh, the, uh, your uh, uh, strategic European partner uh, to, to, to the Chinese, for example, I think that uh, maybe uh, the, the support will, will not be the same, uh, but we need we absolutely need to diversify our partners and we absolutely need to address the strategic sectors of energy and the strategic sector of agriculture in order to uh, 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 enhance our productive capacity and to delink from, uh, from, from the Western countries, as I explained before. So IMF is now, for instance, uh, 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 something that we need to deal with but instead of spending the money of the IMF uh, on, 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 on projects that don't deliver, we should directly address these strategic sectors such as energy and such as food and such as technology uh, to, to ensure at minimum uh, uh, the sovereignty of the country. Mm, absolutely, I agree. And, and when thinking about the coming negotiations and the groups in Tunisian society that can exercise leverage over what direction those negotiations go. You mentioned earlier that organized labor in Tunisia is powerful and the UGTT played a, a central role in, in what happened from July 25 until now. Do you think that organized labor in trade unions and other formations exerts a lot of power and do you think that they're able to use that power in the interests of workers or are they just participating mostly in, in elite politics? What do you think their role in, in the political landscape is? Yeah, I think that the UGTT, uh, despite being a bureaucratic organization with its own inconsistency and internal struggles, had always played an important role in the political uh, uh, scene in Tunisia. And uh, uh, indeed, it enjoys a, a large base uh, and his basis has not been eroded, uh, and especially among the public sector uh, workers. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the UGTT does not represent the unemployed, that, not, that, that becomes now uh, an, uh, um, uh, an entire class, if we can say that, in, in the Tunisian society. Uh, it does not represent all the working class. It does not represent uh, uh, all the civil society. There is a lot of, uh, 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 there is a lot of bubbling and diverse uh, civil society in Tunisia uh, uh, and does not really represent the, the middle class, the Tunisian middle class that were at the 16, 17 uh, uh, composed by all the public employees, uh, the uh, 
um, the, the people that were hired by the state. Uh, and now the middle class is mostly self-employed. They have their little jobs. They have like, their little uh, companies. So there is a lot of uh, uh, working class that is not under the uh, uh, structured under under the UGTT. However, the UGTT stays uh, uh, have have an important role in the political scene today, and uh, uh, and also uh, it must, I think, in my opinion, it must play his historical role today more than ever. Uh, as he played uh, after the independence uh, of Tunisia, uh, where he were uh, a force of proposal for an economic development plan uh, in the 1965. Uh, so I think that today he needs, he, he played a role during the democratic transition when there was this political turmoil and we made a national dialogue to, uh, uh, at the end, uh, 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 finish the constitution. But now I think that he have to uh, play his uh, social and economic role and be a force of proposal uh, with the government and, uh, and, uh, and use his bargaining power in that sense, uh, uh, indeed. And and who else you you spoke about on the on the one drawback, and I think this is a pattern that is the case in, in a lot of Africa, as you've described how the unemployed themselves are of significant proportion enough to constitute a, a class, so to speak. So when mm -hmm. it comes to representing the the perspectives of these other social groups, such as the unemployed such as women, such as youth, such as other categories, how is organizing in, in those interests happening and, and who can claim to represent them and how are they asserting their interests? I think, you know, one thing that has underscored this conversation is that Tunisians aren't short of ways to protest and to express themselves. And certainly since 2011, we've seen a whole bunch of creative protests that not only would be unthinkable in, in North Africa, but I think would be unthinkable on the continent. Uh, thinking of, for example, uh, in, in, in 2014, there was a delegation of, of sex workers to parliament and, and protests, protests like that. So who sort of thinking about organized labor in relation to civil society in general, what is that relationship like? And what are the political prospects for trying to bring together all of these different groups under one umbrella? Mm, I think that uh, we should witness uh, 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 this kind of political and civil society uh, uh, role for the, for the UGTT to federate all these groups uh, uh, around uh, the union. Uh, I think he had the possibility and the, the potential to do that. Uh, we have a very bubbling civil society in Tunisia. People never stopped protesting since 2011. 
they have protested for individual freedoms, they have protested for employment, uh, for the right to water, for the right to blasphemy. Uh, they were they were protesting also against terrorism, again for 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 women's rights. So we have a lot of bubbling civil society that are uh, uh, standing uh, during this, these 10 years uh, against all the oppression and the, the, the oppression of the policy and the economic policy also uh, that we lived uh, during these 10 years. They were also uh, protesting against the central bank policies, for example. Uh, uh, the, the marginalized people in the neighborhood were protesting each uh, uh, um, uh, uh, each January, each January we have huge, pro huge protests in the in, in the poor in the poor neighborhood. So, uh, despite the the despite the the, um, the repression that were uh, used by the government because they have no solution to deliver to this population. So, uh, I think that today. Uh, 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 there is uh, in Tunisia a very strong culture of protesting, of uh, uh, of uh, asking for our rights, of uh, proposing also uh, solutions. Uh, I, I can see it from my work uh, with the Rosa Luxembourg Foundation. Uh, uh, there is a lot of network that are networks that are building up through. Uh, uh, through uh, socio-economic questions, uh, uh, they are building also regionally, uh, uh, not only in Tunisia. So I think that this is a huge potential for uh, for the next Tunisian democracy is its uh, uh, civil society. Uh, I, I think that the UGTT have its role now to federate. Uh, these groups together uh, uh, in this uh, uh, negotiating uh, uh, around uh, the new social contract, uh, but but I think that it he, he this institution and this union will not be uh, the only uh, structure. Uh, uh, there is a lot of organization that can make the difference today and can make a good proposal for this. Uh, uh, for the for this next phase that we will uh, uh, experience mm. and to ask a, a question about the next phase we we haven't touched on it much but it just occurred to me now what would you say is is the role of of political islam in tunisia at the moment because something that i think is interesting is that it really started to to gain momentum after 2011 and at the moment is it still something that is attractive to to some sectors of tunisia or do you think it's a, a political tradition that is, is starting to win in influence i think that political islam have been eroded by 10 years of undelivering democracy that's i think that's the the the, the worst thing that happened to 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 them is that they were in power <laughs> no really because they, because they, they <laughs> yeah because they they didn't uh, achieve anything after being democratically elected by uh, and they had a, a very confident majority and they didn't uh, uh, um, 
they didn't realize any uh, any demand uh, uh, from the from the Tunisian uh, uh, for the Tunisian people. So I think that uh, uh, there will be a need for uh, uh, a retreat back for reflection for restructuring because this party is now uh, facing a lot of uh, uh, internal struggle. There was a lot of uh, um, uh, res uh, resigning from them. There, there was there was I think a list of 100 people resigning from the from the local committee from the Shura committee. So I think that they will need time to restructure themselves and maybe to enter uh, 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 the, the, the new game with uh, a new proposal for the Tunisian people and not only uh, ethical proposal of uh, Islam, uh, Islam as a, a, way, uh, a way of living, a way of, uh, 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 um, uh, 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 a way of, uh, social contracts between between people this is not sufficient this is not sufficient because also we saw that corruption uh, uh, is uh, uh, something that's grown uh, uh, in uh, during uh, the, the the islamist party rule that they don't have any problem with dealing with foreign um, uh, with foreign entities that they were receiving money that uh, they were uh, uh, supporting uh, the 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 the, uh, the the travel of some people in Syria to uh, to join terrorist groups, so people don't have any more so much credibility uh, in, in in that uh, uh, in their offer. They don't, uh, 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 I mean, give credit to to what they offer, uh, as long as the, the, the economic and social question uh, was lived uh, apart. Mm, yeah, that's, that sounds absolutely right, because the, the challenges that Tunisia face are, are just too big uh, to only respond with a concern about public morality. And, and one yeah. of those big pressing challenges, as you've, as you've told us, is, is the climate crisis. So uh, thinking about Tunisia and its its economic model so far, which you've said is quite extractive. It's one of the hardest hit places on the continent by by climate change, with rising yeah. temperatures, water scarcity, and this is already having a profound impact. Do you think that the the political class has so far given an adequate response? What are alternative responses that are being mobilized from from below and proposals being made for in this next phase, as you say, restructuring away from that towards a, a sustainable future? Yeah, I think that for now, this climate question is, compl is completely absent from the political debate. It's only some uh, an issue of interest for some uh, uh, NGOs and some uh, uh, people that are um, uh, affected and impacted on the ground from the pollution of the companies, from the pollution of the seawater, and from the, uh, the, uh, the high temperature and the water scarcity we are witnessing. Maybe, uh, the, maybe the farmers and the sm small-scale farmers are now mobilizing because they are witnessing 
uh, a loss of their profitability due to this climate change. So maybe a higher awareness in these groups will lead to uh, a better understanding of the situation and how to deal with it. But unfortunately for now, we are witnessing no interest on the issue of climate change. There is no response from the government and there is no political party uh, talking about this or uh, uh, giving any program or solution or any kind of uh, policies that are in favor of protecting uh, the environment. So today also the, 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 the climate issue, the climate question should be at the heart of uh, the, the, the new social contract uh, that we will build together. And I think that the civil society uh, will be key also mm. to uh, to address and 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 uh, provide uh, uh, with proposal to address these questions mm. and 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 as a final question i like this idea of, of a new social contract for for tunisia and thinking about what that contract might look like what's your projection for the future because on the one hand as you've painted for us the situation is bleak insofar as the economy is in a slump, there's a possibility of austerity being implemented and climate change is a real force to be reckoned with. But on the other hand, what I think Tunisia is unique in showing is that there's a heightened development of political consciousness permeating across society. As you've said for us, it just sounds like Tunisia won't accept anything less than than real economic freedom and uh, a new social contract that gives jobs and and dignity. So, would you say, when it comes to forecasting what happens next, that mm -hmm. as much as the next period is going to be decisive in shaping what the future looks like, would you say that the left and progressive forces in the country are in a good place to? to decide where the country goes next? This is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. But yeah, I, I won't say that the left is really in a good place today to, 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 to contribute mm. to this new social contract. But I would really uh, uh, be confident with the uh, Tunisian civil society in general that are mm. mobilizing that were always mobilizing during this 10 year. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. Um, I, there is a lot of uncertainty. I wouldn't be such optimistic, uh, but, um, but I think that for us, it's necessary today to uh, sit together and to uh, recognize uh, uh, recognize all the errors that have been made during these uh, uh, 10 years and uh, to set together a new, uh, as I said before, a new social contract in a sense that if democracy there is, it should deliver its benefit to the people and not only to the rentier elite uh, profiting from accumulating its uh, from accumulating its profit uh, uh, and transferring it abroad, because if there is a revolt this time, it will not be only <laughs> if it, if this 
new democracy doesn't deliver, uh, so the revolt will not be only uh, uh, on the political class, but it will mm. rather uh, 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 also the bourgeoisie and also the elites that are mm. behind this class. So uh, I think that today uh, uh, all of us uh, are aware, uh, we are aware of that. And I think that today also what is a, 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 a positive point uh, in this move uh, uh, that Qaisaid uh, had made uh, uh, is that uh, he had a very large support, he had a very large uh, also a, a little bit also from the bourgeoisie. There's a meme that I used to I used to like when um, there's a I think that it's a picture of a kid in class and I think one of the captions is uh, are there a, a teacher asks are you in, are there any classes you're struggling with and the kid responses the bourgeoisie so <laughs> the bourgeoisie is always, <laughs> always troubling for us but um, thank you thank you so much Maha I think that's a that's a good point to to conclude. Uh, I think, on the one hand, as you say, uh, certainly there is no other way for for Tunisia but to construct a new social contract. But on what terms that social contract is going to be drafted remains uncertain. Uh, so, thank you for for coming on to the to the podcast and a reminder to everyone uh, that Maha is co-editing a book that is going to be coming out soon with Pluto Press. It's called The Economic and Monetary Sovereignty in 21st Century Africa. And it's going to delve into a lot of the themes that we've been discussing tonight. Certainly how Africa seems to be in this hamstrung position where it has to deliver the material fruits of democracy to its people, but it's constrained by the persistence of the global imperial power structure. So Maha, we look forward to the publication of the book when it's out. Maybe we'll have you back to, to discuss it with, with some of your, your co-editors and, and co-authors. Uh, but thank you so much for, for coming on this evening to talk about the political crisis in, in Tunisia. We will be watching very closely what happens. And as always, thank you very much to Antoinette Engel, who produces the podcast uh, from Cape Town, South Africa. And until the next one, to you, our listeners who support us, thank you for doing so, and we will see you next time.